0: This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. All right, I I have a tendency to to move around, so I don't know if that'll be good or bad if I'm tethered here behind a a platform. But anyway, uh, would it not seem likely that Satan would uh, attempt to Put in our paths every distraction, every pitfall that he could uh, that he could conjure up to make our uh, our experience and our, our our hold on our faith and on Jesus Christ more difficult. And the answer is yes. Uh, we're going to look at it this afternoon. This is present, relevant, practical, powerful information. Snares of Satan. Uh, I thought this was an interesting picture here. You can see a a wolf in sheep's clothing. I kind of referenced that earlier in Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. We're counseled to beware, and God has seen fit to give each one of us a, a special message that tells us the work of what Satan is doing, and that's in The Great Controversy, this book, The Great Controversy. Uh, I'd like to read a passage from Revelation 12, going back to that famous chapter again on the great controversy. It says, And the the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Well, I have, uh, since GYC two years ago, Uh, my wife and I have ventured out into having a community Bible study and we meet in our community every Thursday evening at a a soup kitchen area. It's kind of a neutral area in town and we have uh, attracted several non-Adventists and when we were going through one of our Bible studies on just our fundamental belief on the great controversy, this verse right here when we were reading it, you know I've probably as an Adventist growing up Adventist read it a thousand times, There was a a non-Adventist fellow who said, look, it says the dragon or Satan is deceiving the whole world. We're all deceived. And I had the hardest time convincing him that's not exactly what it's saying. You know, if you wanna add some real challenge to your spiritual understanding of scripture, study with other people that, that don't understand our truths, that need to know our truths. And so uh, to me, it has become more apparent, and I've become much more aware, look at what the text says. It says he is deceiving the whole world. But if you read it carefully, I think the only translation that came close to uh, really saying what I think it's saying is Young's literal translation, the YLT, and they say who is leading astray the whole world. In other words, his, his mod, modus operandi is to lead the world astray. And so are you aware that he's trying to do that to you today, even while you sit here comfortably at GYC? He is trying to lead you astray. And so we need to be on our guard for his devices. So I want to run through a, a, a bunch of great counsel given in the, the book, The Great Controversy. This is called, uh, the chapter is The Snares of Satan, and some specific Uh, examples of what Satan is trying to do that we need to be aware of. Uh, The first thing uh, we're going to look at, spiritual darkness. And she says, to hold the people in darkness and in penitence till the Savior's meditation is ended, and there is no longer a sacrifice for sin, is the object which he, that is Satan, seeks to accomplish. You're fine and comfortable where you are, just stay in darkness, everything's okay, there's nothing to worry about. If Satan can convince people to just stay where they are and not be active and, and seeking the truth, then that's just what he desires. That is just the object which he is seeking to accomplish. And spiritual darkness reminds me of John three nineteen, where uh, we find there, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world, but what did men really like? And men love darkness rather than light. What's wrong with us? What is wrong with us? Because why their deeds were evil. I want to keep on following and living my sinful lifestyle, uh, the light of truth that points out what is righteousness and what is sin. I don't want that. I'm not interested because it goes against my my sinful character. Well, we need to be aware this is uh, one of Satan's snares. What else? Mind control. Question before I read this uh, statement here. Where does God place his seal? on his remnant people. All right, right there in the forehead, right in their mind. And so would it be significant or important that Satan would also seek to implant his own stamp or signature in our minds? Uh, notice what she says here with the same object. He, that is Satan, is in attendance when men assemble for the worship of God. Is it possible that he is here and is, as evil angels even now? That's what she says. Um, And we know from the Bible account, of course, that the Gospels tell us that even when Jesus was in the synagogue, that there were uh, men that were possessed with evil spirits. So it, it does happen. Though hidden from sight, he, Satan, is working with all diligence to control the minds of worshipers, even when they're in church, when they're trying to worship God. Folks, we need to be on our guard and make sure that we do not allow Satan to distract us and deceive us with what we focus and keep our attention on. Uh, One of my favorite Bible verses, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, says, Casting down imaginations, that has to do with our thinking, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity how many thoughts? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Is this possible? Well, I think there's a scripture that says, with man, this is impossible, but not so with God. We serve a God who is a God of impossibilities. With God, all things are possible if we will commit our ways to him. So we need to be aware that Satan is seeking to control our minds, and I'm gonna have some more to say about that. I think this also ties in with the mind. Now, this is Satan's plan now. So this is not, these are not things, when you read the title, don't think this is what I'm encouraging you to do. This is what Satan is encouraging you to do. Neglect prayer and Bible study. Satan well knows that all whom he can lead to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures, what does it say, will be overcome by his attacks. Therefore, he invents every possible device to engross the mind. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, Have you seen some of the devices that Satan has invented to preoccupy our minds and take them away from a a love of spiritual spiritual truth, of spiritual things? Um, As you can see up here from some of the pictures, I just uh, went through. uh, We've got a little kid watching TV. Uh, We've got some little kids there playing video games. Uh, We've got some people that are someone rather playing a game on their smartphone, someone listening to music. Uh, just the other day, I checked on the uh, the Apple Store and uh, looked through, I don't, I'm sure probably a lot of you with smartphones, whether it's the Google Store, Google Play Store, or the Apple Store, the top 25 most popular applications. And I enjoy looking through just to see sometimes, you know, what's what's out there. And uh, when I looked, this was about a week or two ago, and I know it changes every day, but 24 out of the top 25 apps were games and entertainment. 24 out of 25 are games or entertainment. There's constantly new games, new, new entertainment ways of, of being preoccupied and taking us away from what's coming up in the second half of my presentation later on uh, in, a, in a few minutes the safeguard that God has given to us, his holy divine word. So the the number of TV channels is unbelievable. I tried to look up and see if I could find out how many there are. I I think the United States has over 5,000 different TV channels in just the United States. Programming, have you ever thought about what that word means? Programs, we have programs for you to watch so you can be programmed to think the way that we think, the way the world is. My Bible says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And of course, that transformation takes place when I'm taking in and studying God's holy word. So um, we cannot neglect prayer and Bible study. These are our cornerstones to our faith. Have you ever been tempted to doubt or disbelieve or just see nothing but obstacles in your path? Well, that's Satan's purposeful attempt at trying to, to harass and, and, and in some way weaken the faith of the remnant. Notice what she says, it is his plan to bring into the church insincere, unregenerate elements that will encourage doubt and unbelief and hinder all who desire to see the work of God advance and to advance with it. Folks, do not let people and their doubts and disbelief bring you down from doing what God's will is. Do not let that happen uh, because we know we are not ignorant, Paul says, of Satan's devices. There will always be doubters. There will always be people uh, that will disbelieve. And it reminds me of of when Jesus, uh, at his after his uh, resurrection, he appeared in Galilee. I believe it was to upwards of 500 people. And... Uh, Even then, Ellen White writes, the Bible actually says, still some doubted, and Ellen White comments on that verse that when they saw Jesus and could even see the marks of his crucifixion, she says, referring to those that doubt, so it has always been, so it will ever be. There will always be doubters among us. But I want to just also make a a comment about something in Desire of Ages, a statement that has been a blessing to me uh, about doubt, Ellen White writes and says in Desire of Ages, page 323, men are influenced by their own words. Did you know that? You are influenced by the words you say, not just the words that I say to you or someone else says, the words that you say. So what's going to happen if I am dwelling upon and and speaking upon every little criticism and every little problem that happens to uh, come to my attention? What is that going to do to my own spiritual life? It's going to be, yes, it's going to bring it down. Absolutely. It's going to be a cancer. It's going to even, it's going to be a faith killer. It's going to be destructive to my faith. So be aware of that. That's been a blessing to me because even when I'm tempted to think things of, you know, I get a pessimistic attitude or have a bad day, do not vocalize that because we are influenced by our own words. Moving on. Satan wants you to think there's no absolute truth. Now come on now. This is this is sad that this is a, even in our own church has crept in and there are those within our church, and I happen to be a, a, a local elder in my church, and and sitting on meetings and discussions and hear comments and things from from people that should know better that you know, well, let's just get together and have discussions and we'll kind of come to an agreement on things from our discussion as to what we should, what's right and wrong in terms of morality issues and things that we should be looking for, as my brother Norman said, going to the word of God first and foremost. Well, notice what uh, she describes here. Ellen White says, the position that it is of no consequence what men believe is one of Satan's most successful deceptions. Believe whatever you want, and if it's okay with you, then hallelujah, you're fine. Not so. My Bible tells me in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so anything that goes against that will then be in error. There's no other name, and so we need to know the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, uh, cometh unto the Father, rather, but by me. So whether it's Lunar Sabbaths, anti-Trinitarianism, keeping the feast days, uh, breaking up our main churches and meeting in home churches, universalism, those types of things, um, those are not grounded, I believe, in what present truth scriptures tell us. So we need to know that there is a such thing as right and wrong, as sin and righteousness. There is absolute truth. False science. Okay, too many, Ellen White says, scientific research has become a curse. God has permitted a flood of light to be poured upon the world in discoveries in science and art. But even the greatest minds, if not guided by the word of God in their research, become bewildered in their attempts to investigate the relations of science and revelation. Now, if you see pictures and captions, and so I'm not condoning those. I'm just illustrating some of the things that Ellen White, I believe, is, is trying to say. And here we see uh, an evolutionary idea of, of man supposedly descending uh, or, or evolving from an ape, which would go, go right in the face of what we read in Genesis 1 and 2, that we're created in the image of God. What, a, what an awesome, awesome privilege we have. And if you're curious, there are a couple of statements that I'll I'll just briefly read uh, that that make very clear, uh, these are not in the great controversy, that true science does not contradict, guess what? This right here, true science. She says in volume four of the testimonies, page 584, true science and inspiration are in perfect harmony. False science is a something independent of God. In volume eight of the testimonies, she says in true science, there can be nothing contrary to the teaching of the word of God for both have the same author. I love that. So if you're a science teacher, you're into the sciences and whatever your teachers, professors, if you're not at one of our schools are, are saying things that contradict what's in here, that is not true science. True, true science is always in harmony with what God's word is as revealed in scripture. Continuing on, forbidden knowledge, these are all listed now, these are all under the, I'm going to have a general uh, summarizing table when we get to the end of this section. I'll have all of these listed on one screen, these specific things that Satan is trying to uh, use to, to, to bring us down forbidden knowledge. She says, it is a masterpiece of Satan's deceptions to keep the minds of men searching and conjecturing in regard to that which God has not made known and which he does not intend that we shall understand. This reminds me of another one of my memory verses, Job eleven seven, which says, canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? And there is a point where human wisdom must stop. And God has revealed everything that we need to know for our happiness and our eternal salvation in His Word. So, the idea of, of spending time trying to find out esoteric or secret hidden knowledge, I think, is not something that we should be concerned with and that we should be uh, distracted by. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, gives us a clear counsel from the Bible For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The Bible is clear. God knows things that we do not know. He is infinite. Now this is a pretty compelling slide up here, and uh, I have to be honest, I wasn't sure about whether to put uh, one of the pictures that's up here that you see on the right, but this this is plain hard facts truth that is presented in the great controversy, spiritualism and the dead. Um, on the right side over here, uh, this is a picture of, that, that someone took with an iPad at a Promise Keeper's convention last year. Uh, I just happened to, to, to run across this uh, about a week ago or so, just as I was uh, kind of reviewing my presentations. And so I decided to add it in. I just had the slide on the left. But on the right, uh, they claim that is an angel that actually was there at this concert. Uh, and this is a promise keepers is an organization for men to come and uh, commit their lives and so on I have nothing against that that concept but uh, they as you can see there with the drums and the the it looks like it's a Christian rock concert and uh, if you're not clear about that I know there's a a seminar maybe more than one on media that I've heard some of uh, their presentations on DVD so Notice what, let me read this statement, sorry. Among the most successful agencies of the great deceiver are the delusive teachings and lying wonders of spiritualism. Now, if you're not sure what spiritualism is, it's the belief that the dead aren't really dead. And I have over here, this is a a picture of a plaque that is, uh, it's located up in New York and uh, it's kind of hard to read. So I will, uh, I'll read to you what it says. The plaque says, erected by spiritualists of the world in commemoration of the advent of modern spiritualism at Hydesville, New York, on March the 31st, 1848. Now, if you you missed the presentation just before mine, you missed a a real powerful presentation about the message uh, of the advent movement that was beginning to really swell in the early 1840s and in 1844. Is it possible that Satan would try to introduce a counterfeit that would kind of distract people from that genuine message that God had raised up. So notice also on the plaque, can you read what it says on the bottom? I don't know if you're, you're, there is no death, there are no dead. Well, that's the definition of spiritualism right there. And so Ellen White says, beware, this is something that Satan is going to use in a mighty way to deceive many people. Uh, just a quick uh, small side note, if you've never read the book A Trip into the Supernatural by Roger Murno I would highly recommend that you read that, highly recommended reading. And uh, have, have, any, have any of you read that book before, uh, Roger Murno A Trip into the Supernatural? It's uh, published, I believe, 96, 98 or so, and written by a, a man who was involved with, uh, with spiritualism as a young person before being called out of that. Uh, it's only about 141 pages highly recommended reading and it will uh it will open your eyes to a lot of the things that uh that satan is doing yes that's also a good book i my wife is beware of angels another book My, my wife has read both of those and i've read the first one and she's given me the the review of the the second one i haven't read it yet but they are very 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 important Okay, these are all another, so it seems like we're skipping around. These are all snares of Satan. Another one, Christ's divinity attacked. Another dangerous error, she says, is the doctrine that denies the deity of Christ, claiming that he had no existence before his advent to to this world. And I hear people say, you know, that, that Jesus just somehow was begotten of the Father and just kind of came out of him in some kind of a strange, bizarre way. Well, how do you get around John 1, 1? I mean, I don't, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, and you're telling me there's a time before the beginning? And the Bible, I think, is very clear on this, that Jesus is God, he has always been God, he will always be God, amen? Satan isn't real. This is also brought out in Roger Murnau's book. In fact, uh, he talks about that Satan had a, a general spirit council in the 1700s as the Industrial Revolution was breaking forth on the earth, and he could see that there was a tremendous explosion in inventions and in, uh, in new ideas and technology, and he came up with a three-part plan and maybe I shouldn't tell you so that way you'll read the book, but he describes that there are three parts or things that Satan is trying to do to deceive people in these last days. Well, guess what one of them is? To convince people he isn't real. I tried to look up on a Gallup poll and found that uh, approximately 55 to 60% of Americans believe in the devil, a little over half. Well, if you don't believe that Satan exists, well, you're not gonna be on your guard for his attacks. All these different things we're looking at you're not gonna even, even be concerned about because you don't think that there is a supernatural being that we are wrestling against. So this was just a caption down here, I don't exist either. That's terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, did I read the statement? I didn't read it, did I? No, I, I don't think I did. I, all right, uh, let me read it. Still another subtle and mischief, uh, mischievous error is the fast spreading belief that Satan has no existence as a personal being that the name is used in scripture merely to represent men's evil thoughts and desires. It's just a term to describe just bad things or whatever, that it's not really a, a genuine being. So we need to be aware that Satan is real and the Bible tells us that our adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, I believe that's 1 Peter. Another snare of Satan is that prayer is useless and I referred to this this morning and let me read what she uh, writes here. Again, worldly wisdom teaches that prayer is not essential. It is a part of God's plan. Now, this was quoted uh, by, by Pastor Mark Finley uh, last night. And I thought this was awesome. And I would commit it to memory. I, I've committed it to memory. You can remember it easily. It's GC 5252. It is a part of God's plan to grant us in answer to the prayer of faith that which he would not bestow, did we not thus ask? So five two five two. That's what. That's a keeper for me. And every time that Satan tries to whisper to me, you know, you know, you can't really fix this situation. Uh, there's nothing that's gonna. You, you can't. You know, uh, prayer is just useless. It, this situation is beyond uh, any. God can't help this. It's something bad's gonna happen. You can't stop it. Whatever it might be, the situation. Remember. God's plan is to grant us in answer to the prayer of faith, not just mumbo-jumbo words just as a ritual, but genuine faith, that which he would not give us if we did not ask. Um, there are uh, uh, some, some other statements. Uh, I would just encourage you, if you have not looked at the compilation, the book Prayer, uh, Ellen White, there is a chapter in there uh, that's called Satan and Prayer, since our theme of our conference is before men and angels and the theme of our seminar is the great controversy, which is a, is a struggle, it's a war, it's a battle, I would encourage you to look at that. And let me just share a couple of gems from that. Uh, this is taken from Satan in Prayer, chapter 27 in the book Prayer. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. At the sound, his entire host trembles at the sound of fervent prayer. That's prayer page 270. Um, the darkness of the evil one encloses those who neglect to pray. That's page 267. I don't want to have the darkness of Satan surround and envelop me. But if I forget to pray, if I become too busy to pray, then that is what will happen. James 4.2 says, ye have not because ye ask not. This is a call to prayer. Not for temporal blessings, but for spiritual blessings, which we desperately need, right? Amen. Continuing on, an army of doubters, and this is tied to an earlier slide. Uh, She says also a little bit differently though. An army of doubters, there's nothing that he desires more than to destroy confidence in God and in his word. He wants to destroy your confidence. If we are mindful of this, will we not redouble our efforts to make sure that we do have confidence because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? by our own study, and by our own desire to ask God for for help to overcome the the attacks of Satan. Satan stands at the head of the great army of doubters, and he works to the utmost of his power to beguile souls into his ranks. It is becoming fashionable to doubt. Now, I have some patience with uh, some of the people that come to my Bible study who are not Adventists, who just seem to always want to bring to my attention every time they think they can find an error in the Bible in some way or another. Uh, this one fellow that comes to my study, he just, he's convinced that there, there are some difficult things to explain uh, in, in the Old Testament, things about slavery and so on. And he will come and tell me, the prophet here, he stepped outside of the spirit and spoke some words, and then he stepped back in the spirit, and now he's speaking. And so he'll go through and try to show me where this is not inspired, this is just the prophets. And, and he's just constantly and, it, and it, it wears on me, and I have to tell him, no, 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 if you study it carefully, you'll find there's perfect harmony, there's no reason to doubt. But it's becoming fashionable to doubt. Um, I, I read something on social media the other day on Twitter uh, by a, an evangelical pastor, not a Seventh-day Adventist, but there were some other uh, Adventists who chimed in and said that they thought this was a brilliant thought. And uh, I just thought I would share it with you. I think this is terrible before reading it, so maybe that will uh, alter your thinking on things, but let me just, this has got to be short as Twitter, right? He said, those who elevate the Bible to the status of divinity have invented a new religion, and he had in little parenthesis, biblicism. Those who elevate the Bible to the status of divinity have invented a new religion, biblicism. This religion is a rival to Christianity. Do you see what he tried to do there? What he's trying to do is to say, take away those who who elevate and hold the Bible as being the standard of truth and the source of truth. Um, Those who try to go and say, this is what's important. This is what God says is, is his word. If they're, when you try to elevate that and follow it too closely, that's a rival to following Jesus. You can follow Jesus, in other words, he's trying to split and say, you can follow Christ separately from his word. And there were some oh, that's a great idea. That's, oh, yeah, amen. And I was very deeply saddened and troubled by that. So I just wanted to share that with my brothers and sisters at GYC. God and his word are together. They are not in, in conflict with each other. They are together. The word of God. No doubting for us today. Well, how can we overcome doubts? Let's get to some optimism. There is but one course for those to pursue who honestly desire to be freed from doubts. Is that you this afternoon? Instead of questioning and caviling concerning that which they do not understand, let them give heed to the light which already shines upon them. Amen. The light which already shines upon them, and they will receive greater light. Do you want greater light? Put away doubt. Just put it in the closet. Forget about it. It doesn't exist. Let them do every duty which has been made plain to their understanding and they will be enabled to understand and perform those of which they are now in doubt. So what do, let's, let's, let's boil it down just a little bit. Do what you know is clear you're supposed to do and then walk in the light of faith, in trusting in Jesus and he will make, he will make very clear what further light he wants you to know and understand. He will help you overcome doubt so banish things that we're not sure about and focus on things we are sure about. The three angels message, Jesus is coming soon. We have a savior who is in the most holy place, even now purifying a people to receive his signature for his kingdom. I like this picture. It's of the winner of the Boston Marathon 2009. And this was a, a moving statement to me this is, now this is not a snare of Satan so much as the object of trial. Here's why we, we go through these different uh, difficulties and trials in life. You know, God has seen fit to just, t- just tell it to us in the book, The Great Controversy, why we go through these things. And it's also in scripture as well. The Lord permits his people to be subjected to the fiery ordeal of temptation, not because he takes pleasure in their distress and affliction, but because this process is essential to what? Their final victory, the process of trial and temptation. He could not, this is God, consistently with his own glory shield them from temptation. For the very object of the trial is to prepare them to resist all the allurements of evil. When well, we stand on the sea of glass, and if there's ever a thought that, you know, I wonder, well, maybe if maybe God doesn't know, you know, for sure what's best for me. Maybe I should try and go away from God's law and his will and follow my own my own free will and my own my own thinking apart from God. That will never be a temptation to deviate from what, what God has established as right and wrong, because we will have learned by the difficulties of the trials and temptations of this life, that sin is terrible and it only leads to our ruin and downfall. And I am thankful that it was God's purpose. Ellen White says, this is taken from Desire of Ages, page 759. This is a complimentary statement. Desire of Ages, page 759, paragraph two. It was God's purpose to place things on an eternal basis of security. And in the councils of heaven, it was decided that time must be given for Satan to develop the principles which were the foundation of his system of government. He had claimed that these were superior to God's principles. Time was given for the working of Satan's principles that they might be seen by the heavenly universe. And I think we could just say before men and angels, the heavenly universe. Time was given so that we could all see, all intelligent beings, here's what happens when you go against and deviate from God's perfect will. Divine counsel. Only in humble reliance upon God and obedience to all his commandments can we be secure. No man is safe for a day or an hour without prayer, especially should we entreat the Lord for wisdom to understand his word. This has been a a specific prayer of mine almost every time I open the Bible in my own personal study. Uh, This statement right here, especially should we entreat the Lord for wisdom to understand his word. As never before, I want to know what God's word says to me and be able to walk in all the light he reveals. Continuing on, she says, here in God's word are revealed the wiles of the tempter and the means by which he may be successfully resisted. Did you catch those two things in that statement? There's two important principles Two important facts about God's word. Number one, the Bible reveals the wiles or the traps of Satan. The Bible does this, reveals those. And number two, the Bible explains how Satan may be resisted. Two important things that we need from studying God's word. Well, I wanted to try to put together a compilation of all the things that we saw in, uh, this chapter in kind of a bulleted form. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to move on. I've got a, a second part two. We're going to look at the Bible now and some incredibly awesome and inspiring t- statements about how important the Bible is in our, our lives today, and it should be. But uh, we just saw spiritual darkness, impen- these are all things Satan wants to do. Control, engross our minds, neglect prayer, Bible study, encourage doubt, disbelief, believe whatever, no absolute truth, there's false gospel. Um, scientific research conflicts the written word. Forbidden knowledge, spiritualism, denial of Christ's divinity, Satan doesn't exist, prayer is non-essential, destroy confidence in God, destroy confidence in scripture. And if there's any of you that would like uh, copies, if you were not in our earlier presentations, uh, my brother Norman and I, you can come up here and sign uh, this sheet afterwards. I'll give you everything that I have, presenter notes and all. You're welcome to have it. Um, if it's a blessing to anyone else, one other person, I will praise the Lord for that. Well, let's continue on with our next, uh, in our last 25 minutes. The scripture is a safeguard. I'm excited about this. This is present life or death truth now that we're gonna find out about the importance Of the scriptures and this is chapter 37 and I've entitled this our great need of his word do we even realize how much we need his word 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds do you know what that means the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not fleshly they're not earthly but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, what that means, pulling down strongholds, that actually refers to false arguments. Well, what are the weapons of our warfare? I have a uh, little bit of an illustration here, and it maybe won't be as effective. I can't move around as much. I'm holding in my hand a, a Roman gladius. This is a replica of a, of a sword. This is a replica of a sword that was the the, the sidearm, the popular sidearm of the day, in. Uh from around the, the Punic Wars, which is around the 200s BC until about 300 or so AD. So for about 500 years, this is the principal weapon of the Roman Empire. And if you look closely, it's not sharp. It's a replica of my brother-in-law that I mentioned in my earlier presentation. Uh, he uh, is in the, the military and he collects swords and he bought this for me when he was in Rome. It is from Rome. And uh, it, I think it was about 50 or 60 euro and, and had it shipped to me. But it's double-edged. Does that remind you of any other scriptures at all? For the word of God is quick. I'm going to get choked up just quoting this memory verse. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This word is, or this sword, rather, is is a carnal weapon. Yes, I can come after you, I I can hack, and I can stab at you, but what does the word of God say here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? We don't fight with these kind of weapons. As powerful and strong as these might have been to the Roman Empire back in their day, we have a far stronger, mightier weapon, and it's the word of God. It's God's word. Ephesians chapter six, I believe it's verse 13 says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I like uh, how Hebrews 4.12 says that the, the God's word, it, it pierces even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That's spiritual transformation and joints and marrow. That's the physical being of my body. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, that's mental. Did you catch that? There's three things that God's word attacks and changes. It's physical, mental, spiritual. They're all a part. That's our whole being. God's word is mighty and it's powerful. And let's look and see uh, what the counsel that's given about his word is in the great controversy. The Bible is our safeguard from errors the people of God are directed to the scriptures as their safeguard against the influence of false teachers and the delusive powers of spirits of darkness. Satan employs every possible device to prevent men from obtaining a knowledge of the Bible, for its plain utterances reveal his deceptions. We are directed where? Where's our focus? Is this out of date? Is this something that just deserves to be on a, a dusty shelf with... With old history books that are are maybe uh, not very well stated any longer. And there's newer, better things out there. God forbid. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. She points out the Bible is the standard for how many of our beliefs? For most of them. Are you with me this morning? Or this afternoon? I'm sorry. I'm putting people to sleep. It's the standard for all beliefs. The last great delusion is soon to open before us. Are we awake spiritually? Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true, pay close attention brothers and sisters, this is a powerful statement, so closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the holy scriptures we will not be able to tell the difference with our sensory perception. It will only be by knowing and having God's word hidden in our heart that we will be able to know that's not right, this is what truth is. Because we don't live by, by, by man's words, we live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. By their testimony, every statement, and notice here, every miracle must be tested. Miracles might appear, uh, appeal to our, our senses. Look what happened. Look how amazing that is. That guy just levitated. Look what they just did. They did some kind of miraculous. They started a fire from nothing out of thin air. It doesn't matter. If it is not found and based in clear teachings in Scripture, it is not of God. All right? Amen. The Bible is a standard for all beliefs. And we should be storing our mind with the word of God. We must have our mind fortified by the Bible. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Period. This was an eye-opening statement to me. And I have it written uh, in the back of, not this Bible, another Bible that I use. I have it written back in the, in the back there when I read it. And it's, it's just very, it's bottom line. I teach Bible class. Uh, to high school students, and I I, as diligently as I possibly can try to make it it plain to them, if we have not put God's word in our mind, we're not going to be able to stand. God wants us to be able to stand. He's given us all this information, and are we going to be destroyed for lack of knowledge as ancient Israel was? To every soul will come the searching test. Shall I obey God rather than men? The decisive hour is even now at hand even now, written when, 1888, 1911, written a long time ago, even now, read me, yes. Yes, we must. I, I really can't add to this, and I, I, as I see this, this is the bottom line for surviving or perishing. We must put God's word in our minds in this great controversy before men and angels. Now, this is another compelling statement that many people in the last days would disdain Bible truth. What? They don't want to know the truth? The Apostle Paul, she writes, declared, looking down to the last days, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And she quotes 2 Timothy 4.3. And then notice what follows immediately. And I have it underlined and in bold. Don't miss this. She just quoted a passage of Scripture and says, that time has fully come. It has fully come that men will not endure sound doctrine. Why? She says the multitudes do not want Bible truth because it interferes with the desires of the sinful world-loving heart and Satan supplies the deceptions which they love. Are you aware I have seen with my own eyes and, and heard with my own ears that the time has come when people will not endure sound doctrine? Do not want the plain, clear, cutting teachings of God's word would rather have some kind of pleasing fables. I don't know if you've heard of the Queen James Bible. This is just one example. Uh, There could be many, I think, that could be put up here. Um, It is a Bible that was uh, published, I think, about a year ago, and it is supposed to be the first gay-friendly Bible. Now, I am not anti-homosexual. I just wanna follow what God's word says as far as right and wrong. There's other things that could be picked on, greed, pride, all these other things, lust. Those are all sins. But to go in and take God's word and edit all the verses that, that point out what's right and wrong and try to make it say otherwise is, is, is unbelievable. The words in Revelation 22 would say if anyone adds to these words, the same will be added to the, the, the plagues, seven last plagues. And if anyone takes away from these words, their name will be taken away out of the book of life. Well, that only applies to the book of Revelation. They don't see that as a principle that applies across the board. And I was actually reading in my own personal devotions the other day, and I didn't write it down, and I'm going to be embarrassed on the spot, but I read a passage in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, I'm rereading through the Bible again. I'm in Deuteronomy, and, it, and Moses said to the people, Deuteronomy, you know, his, his last words before he, uh, before he died. He said, if, he, it's very similar to Revelation 22. If anyone adds to these words or takes away, that it is an abomination. And so if you have Moses in the books of Moses saying this, and John in the Revelation, kind of the bookends of the Bible, Doesn't it seem clear? That's a principle. We shouldn't be trying to edit or alter God's word as it is. So that time has fully come. We must be aware of this. I stand alone on the word of God. Did any of you learn that song when you were a a young person? It's so true, right? Amen. Well, the opinions, Ellen White writes, the opinions of learned men the deductions of science, the creeds or decisions of ecclesiastical councils as numerous and discordant as are the churches which they represent. The voice of the majority, not one nor all of these should be regarded as evidence for or against any point of religious faith. What should we be standing on? We learned it in Crater Roll, the B-I-B-L-E. Before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand a plain, thus saith the Lord in its support. Show me that in the scripture somewhere and, and then we can talk and we can discuss things. Show me that in the scriptures. The Bible, as you can see here in this illustration, it's heavier than any other books, encyclopedias, any other councils, any other people's opinions. This is our standard that we stand on. Um, I'll just mention something that's ironic. This scripture here, Sola Scriptura, show me in the Bible where it says, uh, actually th- that was the best that I could find that was a slide with Sola Scriptura on it. I lifted that from a Catholic website. So that was, they were actually going to go in and start saying why they disagree with that, the Sola Scriptura idea. But anyway, that first part, show me in the Bible, that is what we stand on. Ignorance is not excusable. Careful now. Here's where, um, since I work with young people, sometimes they, without saying it expressly, seem to think if they can ignore reading some of the things in our spirit of prophecy or even ignore reading things in the Bible, then I'm somehow less accountable before God. That's not so. Notice what she says. If light and truth is within our reach and we neglect to improve the privilege of hearing and seeing it, we virtually reject it. We are choosing darkness rather than light. Wow. So it could be sitting right here on the shelf and I could ignore it every day and I'm still accountable if it's within reach of me and my understanding. And I you know, I gotta say, I, as, as someone, I just turned 40 last month. I had a hard time with that number of... I was hoping there was some kind of a mathematical problem formula I could come up with that would stop that number from happening. But alas, I had to turn 40. But um, I I was hoping, though, that there would be some way that you would be able to convince people that it is important not to take for granted the opportunities that you have. And we have great light today, such as I believe never before. How many of you own a smartphone? How many of you have an iPad? God's truth, I believe, right now in 2014, is more accessible and available than ever before. You can go online and read the major books for free uh, at uh, lngwhite.org. And, of course, the Bible applications are free. There's all, I mean, there's, I, I believe I have two Bible apps, and each one of them has about 30 different English translations. So you're looking at in two little apps on your phone, the equivalent of carrying around 60 Bibles that you can look at and compare. There's no excuse when all this information is readily accessible and available. Uh, A few years ago, uh, I had some students that decided to uh, take up a project and we decided to raise some money to buy some Bibles at the Dollar Tree. Did you know you can buy Bibles at the Dollar Tree? And I'm a little bit old, as I mentioned a m- moment ago, and I can remember back in the days when they used to have these advertisements on TV about, what can you buy for a buck? And it was these ten, ten, three, two, one 1 numbers and stuff. Well, what can you buy for a buck? You could get God's word. Well, we, uh, these were sophomores in high school, and we didn't have any outside help. I just brought a little manila folder to, to, to class, and I said, whenever you have extra money, at the beginning of our Bible class, we would... Pass around the folder and and the kids, if they had change or some extra dollars or whatever, uh, they would put it in there. Well, we raised after a month about $85 or so, and we went to the Dollar Tree, cleared out all the Bibles they had on display. Then they went in the back, brought out a dolly, cleared out all the Bibles they had in storage. And we cleared out all the at, at one of the Dollar Trees, and then we took those, and we wrote some Bible verses in the front cover that we, as you know, the students and myself, that we liked, and we went out in uh, the community and passed those out to uh, actually out in the streets to some homeless people. I was a little nervous about that, but you know, Lord, we're trying to pass out Bibles. Please protect us. But there is no excuse for being ignorant. Continuing on, she says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Ignorance is no excuse for error or sin when there's every opportunity to know the will of God. Well, we're running out of time and so I have a few more slides left and let's look at our first and highest duty. How much more compelling language could the servant of the Lord use to make clear and plain to us what our focus should be? Notice this statement. It is the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the scriptures what is truth, and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow his example. We should day by day study the Bible diligently, weighing every thought and comparing scripture with scripture. Um, you know, how can it be more plain? The first and highest duty, that's, our, that's our, 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 our response to God out of love for him. Our first response is to become acquainted intimately with his word. And now let me just explain something here. Do you see this little passage here? Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is how awesome working in, with young people can be. Uh, just this year in Bible class, and we were talking about the scriptures, and um, I had an insight onto this passage. How deep is that verse? Oh, yeah, 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 I see. God's word, it's a light. I understand, I get it. Well, check this out. I had a student, this is high school level, that uh, as we were talking about you know, what God's word means, and we were looking at this verse and they said, you know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. That's kind of like when you look down at your feet, that's where you're standing in the present. And what about, and a light unto my path? Well, that's actually what? Where, where you're going. So what is God's word? And that simple little verse actually telling us, God's word tells me where I'm standing. Am I standing on solid ground or am I standing in sand? Am I standing in Satan's territory? And it also points out the direction that I need to go with my life. How awesome is that one little verse? There's a, a, there's a depth to scripture that is so, uh, so powerful. One of my favorite verses, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, says, this is one of my memory verses, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein, how often? Day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And I don't think that's talking about financial or economic success. I believe it's talking about what's greater than that, spiritual success. Joshua 1 1.8, one of my favorites. Maximum exertion. My brothers and sisters, this is what we need for studying God's word. She says, we should exert All the powers of the mind in the study of the scriptures and should task the understanding to comprehend as far as mortals can this is pretty deep the deep things of God yet we must not forget that we that the docility and submission of a child is the true spirit of the learner Lord I'm a child I need to be taught I'm a teacher and sometimes it's not easy to humble myself and say Lord you know teach me but I want to be continuing to grow and learn Another one of my memory verses, 2 Timothy 2.15. Um, if you have not memorized this verse, start with memorizing this verse today. If you have not started your memorization plan, put this at number one, not because it's necessarily better or theologically deeper than all other verses, but it will put in, uh, in the sequence all other verses that you learn after it. Study to show thyself approved, not to your parents, not to your teachers, not to your pastors, but unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly handling it because you have read it and studied it out for yourself. It's so awesome as we study fundamental beliefs in my, uh, in my classroom because I try to tell my students, listen, when you study and learn something for yourself, it takes on an entirely different meaning. If you've not studied our fundamental beliefs and understand and know them because you've studied the verses and studied the scriptures, then you need to do so. Because as I grew up in, privileged in an Adventist home, I too often just thought, well, 2,300 days, you know, Pops has got that. No, just, he, he'll break it down for you. Um, 70 weeks, uh, you know, mom can help with that. She, she'll give you some guidelines. But when I studied it for myself, and it was my beliefs because I had studied it and I owned it, it was a tremendous transformation. And so I can't appeal to you enough to study for yourself to make sure that you have that same experience. All right, we're down to the five minute bell. Important principle, an understanding of Bible truth. Now this is key. An understanding of Bible truth depends not so much on the power of intellect brought to the search as on the singleness of purpose, the earnest longing after righteousness. Is that you today? Have you come to GYC longing after righteousness? This is the principle that will enable you to be successful in knowing and comprehending God's word. That's it. If you didn't get the highest scores on your ACT or SAT, or you don't have the highest IQ score, or whatever scores they put out there, it's just a simple desire to know the truth and be sincere in studying God's truth. That's encouraging to me because I don't consider myself to be a, particularly a brainiac person. The Holy Spirit and the Bible, another vital key with God's word. The Bible should never be studied without prayer. Why? Why? Because if I study the Bible without prayer under my own thinking, I might be tempted to distort or read into God's word what's not really there. I want to be led into all truth. And when you study the Trinity and study the belief in the Holy Spirit, you find one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit is to guide into all truth God's people. That's his role, one of his functions. We must ask him to help, help us in this. The Holy Spirit alone can cause us to feel the importance of those things easy to be understood or prevent us from wresting truths difficult of comprehension. Our need of memorizing scripture. I know I've already mentioned this uh, earlier, but notice this statement, page 599. 599 temptations often appear irresistible because through neglect of prayer and the study of the Bible, we saw that under the snares, right? We're not going to do that. We're not going to neglect prayer and Bible study. The tempted one cannot readily remember God's promises and meet Satan with the scripture. What's the word? I'm taking it out again. The scripture, what does she say scripture is? The scripture weapons. Have you ever thought of God's word and a memory verse being a weapon when you're faced with Satan's attacks? Have you ever considered that God's word can give you the power to stop what attack Satan is putting on you? God's word is what we need to have stored in our mind and when it's memorized and I don't have to go look for my iPad and see if the battery's charged or or look for a Bible somewhere even when I know it in my heart and my mind then God can flash into me the words that I need and the counsel and instruction to to be able to stand against Satan's attacks. Scripture weapons that's so awesome. Our urgency of Bible meditation. We are living in the most solemn period of this world's history. You guys know that, right? We're all here at GYC because we know this. We're here because we want to be committed more than ever before. We want to know as much truth, as much training, as much information as we possibly can to be successful in vindicating the character of our Savior Jesus Christ. The destiny of earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and to meditate much upon his word. Now she gives now notice there's some specificity here, especially upon the scenes of the judgment. What did we learn earlier about the heavenly sanctuary, the second advent movement that Christ in 1844 moved into the most holy place to finish his final work? Of preparing a people for translation especially upon the scenes of the judgment we should now seek a deep and living experience in the things of God we have how much time to lose we have not a moment to lose we have not a moment to lose so in conclusion let us just review in our final minute the principles that we hopefully gained as we saw in this chapter relating to the counsel of God's scriptures as safeguard. They reveal Satan's deceptions. They are the test of every statement and miracle. We must fortify our minds with the Bible for the last great conflict. Otherwise, we, read, we won't be able to stand. Multitudes do not want the truths of the scripture. Opinions, science, and creeds, and councils and the, the, the opinions of the majority are all still subject to God's word. Light and truth are virtually rejected if the Bible is within our reach and we fail to study it. Ignorance is no excuse when the opportunity is available to know. Our first and highest duty is to learn and then walk in the light of God's scriptures. We should exert all the powers of our mind to study and understand God's word. And understanding depends on how smart we are or how much we long and desire to know truth. The Bible should never be studied without prayer. And temptation appears irresistible because we are sometimes too often ignorant of the scripture weapons Keep that in mind. The great controversy, scripture weapons, your Bible verses, your memory verses are a weapon against Satan. And then finally, we need to meditate much upon the Bible, especially the judgment. Well, in light of these things, my wife and I uh, have, uh, a couple of years ago, we got rid of our TV. We have made some major changes in our life so that we will be more focused and more, more inclined to spend time in God's precious word. And I can't encourage you and implore you enough to do the same. Let's close with prayer this, uh, this afternoon. Oh, precious Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. And why do we uh, value it so lightly, especially when it contains messages that will enable us to stand against the attacks of Satan, who is seeking to destroy us? This is a life or death issue. And we, we don't have time to be distracted with, with diversions and, and entertainment and games. Our salvation is not a game. You have paid the, the price for all of us, an infinite price. And I pray that we will today, from this seminar forward, commit ourselves to spending more time studying your word and spending time with you in prayer and in fasting and in meditating upon the scenes of the judgment. Please bless my brothers and sisters now as we continue here at GYC. And I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come back tomorrow. You don't want to miss tomorrow morning the final warning from Brother Norman. And I'll be presenting a seminar on the time of trouble. You don't want to miss the principles that we need to stand in the time of trouble. I'll be taking attendance, so make sure you're here. God bless you. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.